1: Well, it's great to see you all here today. My name is Tom. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, if you're a guest here or traveling through, really glad to have you here today. It's good to see all the kids back. Good to see them rolling back there and all the teachers who are serving. And I'm just really thrilled. One of our guests here today, Mr. Murphy, said at eight years old, he, was, he went to the Mission Covenant Church when it was way back over there to Sunday school. I said, welcome home. He probably wanted to leave with the kids, too. I'm sorry you got to stay in here this time. All hey, the flurry of falls on us. Sharon Brennan asked me this morning what's great. She said, "What's great?" I said, "September's great." Now, who can echo that? September is great. All the reasons why. How many of you said because their kids are back in school? That's why September's great, except I know a few of, a few a few folks here today whose kids went to grade eight for the first time, and maybe it wasn't, at, you know, it was the kind of week where you're a little bit more worried about your kids who've gone back to school, right? You know, some of you are into harvesting, canning, uh, seeing the bounty finally get onto the counter. Is your counter like our counter, where it's just sort of piled up with stuff, waiting in the queue to get dealt with, and then who beats you to the punch, but... Some fruit flies, yes. So then it adds this extra layer of motivation to deal with the peaches on the counter. I love fall. And I love that we're getting back together now after a summer helter-skelter scattered here and there. And I love that we can be together to gather, to worship, to connect, meet new friends, reconnect with old friends. My question is, how do we, as a church, as we proceed into the fall, you know, working at the jobs we work at, uh, connecting in the community, maybe some of you are said yes to serving on a, a committee in the, in the community, or there's, there's different things you're part of, reconnecting with friends, uh, studying together, studying at school, maybe helping neighbors. My question is this, how are we to understand what God is doing around us? How are we to understand what God is doing in us and actually through us? Like, how are we to understand that? And how does understanding that, understanding how God is at work in us and through us, how does that then affect the way that we live or we think, the way that we serve, the way that we act? These are really big questions, but I think they're critical questions. You know, as followers of Jesus, how is God involved in your day-to-day life? Like, not just the, like, I give a nod to God every once in a while and I hope he sees me. But I mean, like, how is he actually involved in the, the day-to-day, the work, the in-and-out, the relationships, the conversation? How is God involved in your day-to-day life as a follower of Jesus? Or as someone who's trying to figure out faith. Maybe you're reconnecting with faith for the first time, or, or, or second time, or maybe it's been a long time, or maybe you're, you're trying to process, like, who is Jesus, and, and you're just, just feeling your way forward. How are you supposed to be interpreting or reinterpreting the world around you. In other words, what does God have to say about, about us? Look around you, about us. What does God have to say about being His people, being connected to Him, about doing His business in the midst of our busyness? Well, at the start of each fall, those of you who have been around for a while know that I usually take a, a couple of messages at the start of September and then usually in January as well. And I, I try to just take a few weeks where we refocus on who we are as a church and kind of what are we all about. Kind of a bit of a reset reminder because, uh, you know, we get scattered and, and, and it's good to, good to focus. You know, I ask questions like, who are we? What are we about? Uh, what's our purpose? What's our mission as a church? Why do we do what we do and say what we say or go where we go? Or stay where we stay? Well, why? What's it all about? Why do we prioritize kids? Why do we encourage Bible study, both personally and in groups? Why do we encourage you to serve, each one to serve, not only in your community, but here as we gather in various ways, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week? I mean, actually, one of the questions that you know it drives me is, how does what we do in here, as it were, really affect what we then do out there? Like, what's the connection? But this year, instead of just offering a few focused messages, I decided to take a different angle. We're going to launch this morning straight into a whole new message series through the Book of Acts. Now, the Book of Acts is a history It's the fifth book in the New Testament. It follows the four main stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have the story of Acts. And it's a little slice of the earliest church's history. And it details how the good news about Jesus moved from its humble Jewish roots to become a Roman Empire-wide phenomenon. And so over the next year, with a few detours and stops along the way, things like Advent or special services, we are going to let this amazing story of Acts, this amazing story about these earliest Christians, we're going to let this story reorient God's vision for our church. We're going to hear it and allow it to reorient us. We're going to see what God started in them so that we can better respond what He's continuing to do in us now. And so when we gather, we're going to gather around this story so that we can be the witnesses that Jesus promised we would be, not only as we gather, but particularly as we scatter out into the world, out into our week. So we're going to dive into Acts today, but let me just open with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would lead us and guide us as we look into this beautiful story, that this story would reorient us and inspire us with the vision that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we'll start with the book of Acts. Now, if you have a Bible, you can look at it. If you have it on your phone, you can look at it. Uh, There's a few Bibles in your your seats. You can look at it. It's right at the start. Fifth book in the New Testament. And we're just going to look at the first 11 verses today. But you also can just listen in because I'm going to read it as well. This is how it starts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about... All that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, let me just say a little bit of housekeeping. The writer refers to another book he'd written. And particularly a book that he'd written and it was about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And what this indicates to us is that the author of Acts is writing a sequel. There's a prequel. (laughs) And some of you are very familiar with this. The prequel is called The Gospel of Luke. What we discover is that Luke, who's the only Gentile writer, non-Jewish writer in the New Testament that we know of, he uh, has been following people around with a notepad. (laughs) He's been taking careful notes, and he has written down many, many eyewitness reports. And The Gospel of Luke forms the first volume. And as he puts it, he wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And the language is interesting because he indicates here that was what began, and now what I'm going to give you is what Jesus is continuing to do and teach, but as we'll discover, through his people, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we have is volume one and volume two. And we're diving into volume two. (laughs) So, that's what's going on. After his suffering, that is Jesus, referring to his week of passion and then his death on the cross, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, to these apostles he had chosen. He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And you can pick some of those up in the Gospel of Luke, for example, but also the other Gospels where he ate with them and he talked with them and he let them touch his hands and they knew he was real, a real thing, a real being, in fact, better, uh, like an upgraded version. Because he had all the properties of our bodies, but also could like reappear and appear and walk through walls. Very, very cool stuff. But he was a real human being. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, a little backtrack here. See, these guys, when they started to follow Jesus, and they heard Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, and declaring that the kingdom was here, they began to really grab a hold of this because they had a picture in their mind of what this is going to look like. They thought it would mean that finally Israel would be restored to its proper place, that finally Israel's enemies would be at least put down if not destroyed, that finally God's king would be installed. And they were following Jesus, and Jesus, you might remember through the Gospels, was constantly trying to tell them, you don't really get what I'm doing. Until you see me, I'm going to go, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's not how messiahs do things, right? And so they're constantly back and forth. So that at the point when Jesus does die on the cross, his followers think, oh man, we backed the wrong horse. Like, oh, I thought he was the one, but he wasn't. Because in their minds, the king that God is going to install doesn't die on a Roman cross. That's a fail, you know? Messiah fail. And so they were like, we were wrong, and they went back fishing, you might remember. But when Jesus showed up alive again, it began to restore their hopes that, oh, maybe this project isn't as far off the tracks as we thought. And so when Jesus returns in a resurrected body and begins to talk to them again about the kingdom of God, their question is, oh, okay, I get it. Is now the time that God's going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And what they mean is is now the time where God... I mean, okay, you've done all the dying stuff. Okay, you've done all the suffering, the humble, the wash, the feet. Now is the time, right? Yeah, Jesus, yeah? Where you're going to like raise up an army and we're going to deal with those Romans and we're going to put Israel back, backwards and, and Israel is finally going to fulfill the destiny that it was always meant to fulfill where out from Israel, all the world would come to know who you are because the king is now enthroned, right, Jesus? Now is the time, right? packing a whole bunch of still misunderstood, understandable to the kingdom. Well, Jesus then responds, responds, I've lost my place, responds this way. He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He kind of brushes off the question, to be honest with you. But then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky after he was, as he was going, when suddenly two men appeared dressed in white and stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, there's a lot of ground we could try to cover in this story, as you can imagine. I mean just the last few verses there about ascending. We got a lot we could talk about that, a lot of misunderstanding about what that means. We could look at the kingdom and we could understand more of some of their expectations. There's a lot we could do and I encourage you to ask those questions, to dig into them uh, as as these answer service. Join a small group. They'll be offered here in a few weeks and that'll be one of the ways you can grapple with that. So there's lots there. But for today, I just want to lay some basic groundwork so that moving forward, we'll be able to better hear this story. If we're going to hear this story and have it reorient our vision for the church according to what God has done and is doing, as we listen to this story well, we'll be able to better know how God is still writing it now. Well, the best way to hear and understand the story of Acts is from the words of Jesus himself in Acts 1.8, when he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First, Jesus tells them exactly how their story is going to unfold. You know, they asked, Is now the time? You know, how will God restore the kingdom to, to Israel? And what Jesus does instead is he tells them how God is going to bring his kingdom to the world. Do you see that? They want to know how God is going to restore his kingdom to Israel. Jesus turns around and tells them how God is going to bring his kingdom to the world. He said that his spirit-empowered followers would be witnesses. Witnesses to him. Witnesses to his resurrection. Witnesses to the fact that he is alive and he's the king and everything has now changed because of that. That they would be his witnesses first in the place where they received the Holy Spirit right there in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, the location of the temple, and in their belief system, the place where heaven and earth itself would be joined. That right there... The place where Jesus died and rose again is the place there to wait for this promised Holy Spirit. And then, Jesus said, from Jerusalem, which is like a fulfillment of a whole bunch of prophecies that out of Jerusalem would flow the knowledge of the Lord, like a big river, and that it would be a life-giving river, and it would flow into the world where they discover who Jesus is. Jesus says it's from Jerusalem that their witness would spread first to the surrounding area, Judea is kind of like the provincial area, but also Samaria, which indicates not only crossing geographical and social boundaries, but we discover ethnic boundaries as well. Because if we've stumbled around in some of the Jesus stories at all, we find out that Samaria is not where our friends live, right? And there's animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Like the Good Samaritan story is founded on that animosity, that expectation of really low standards from those boys. And so Jesus says, the witness is going to begin to spread from Jerusalem out to even these surrounding areas, including Samaria. And they're like, are you serious? He says, you just wait till the Holy Spirit comes. But more than that, Jesus said, from Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria, they would then go out to the very ends of the earth, bringing the good news about Jesus to men and women of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, from one city to the world. Kind of like a Great snowball that as it's going, it's gathering momentum and more and more witnesses are being added to it. And there's more and there's more witness to Jesus being born as they go. Well, this geographical expansion that Jesus promises turns out to be exactly how Luke structures his story. Acts 2 to 7, the Holy Spirit comes, the church grows and witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem. And that's where things got going. But beginning in chapter 8, and as a direct result of persecution, we hear that Christians begin to scatter from Jerusalem to the surrounding areas of, oh, look at that, Judea and, some bold souls, Samaria. And that they began to witness to Jesus everywhere they went. And the people in those areas, both Jews and Samaritans, they began to follow Jesus. They believed the witnesses. They began to become witnesses to Jesus as well. And then as you read the story, more and more followers of Jesus start moving further and further out and they can't help themselves, they keep telling people about Jesus, sharing the good news about Jesus with everyone who would listen. And Luke, as he tells the story, they keep circling back to Jerusalem. They keep circling back to Jerusalem and then flinging themselves further and further out afield. Well, then in chapters 9 and 10, through the double conversion of Saul and Peter, we begin to see witness begin to get out to The rest of the world, the real outsiders, the Gentiles. That's most of you in here. And we see witness begin to get out to the rest of the world. First through the ministry of Peter, when he's converted to the Gentiles, when he becomes to realize that, he comes to realize, oh, this kingdom of God thing is for everybody, because of what the Holy Spirit does. But then also through Saul, the church persecutor, who becomes, after he's met Jesus, Saul, the church planter. There in chapter 9. And through those two, the gospel goes out. The good news of Jesus goes out. So very simply, you can actually read the story of Acts geographically. You can get a map out and actually watch it unfold. It's a story of how these spirit-empowered witnesses moved from Jerusalem, then into Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's a very good way to read the story of Acts. But there's a more basic way to read Acts, and it's a theme that we'll be returning to again and again and again, something that um, we'll be exploring in this story of Acts. You can read the story as a story of a promise made and then fulfillment happening. Promise and fulfillment. And I actually think it's the most powerful and motivational way to read Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus makes a promise. We just heard him make it. These followers of Jesus are told, don't do anything at all until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from God the Father. It's the only command given in chapter 1. Wait. (laughs) I know what will happen if you run out and try it without the Holy Spirit, and it will be a bigger mess than ever. So just wait, please, wait. He promises them, though, that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will receive power. And that power will propel them as his witnesses into the world. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus makes a promise. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit makes good on that promise. The Holy Spirit comes in power on this early little church. It's about 120 people. Look around. About as many people as are here today. The Holy Spirit fills the church and then begins instantly to fulfill the promise Jesus made that they would be his witnesses. Right there on day one, but then also on day two, also on day three. And you see Acts begin to unfold. In the story of Acts, right from Acts 2 onward, every single vignette, story, episode, twist, persecution, beheading, jailing, death, every new city they move into, every ship that gets destroyed, every time they're confused and they're not sure which way to go, every time they find themselves wandering around in a city as tourists, the Holy Spirit is fulfilling His promise in them that they would be His witnesses. The Holy Spirit is making good on this promise Jesus made back in Acts chapter 1. So you can read Acts very simple as this. In Acts 1, Jesus makes a promise. And then Acts 2 through 28 the Holy Spirit fulfills that promise. So while we're hearing the story now, whether you're wrestling through what it all means in a a small group or over a coffee conversation, there's two questions that we need to ask. And these two questions help us listen to the story of Acts as as it's given to us by eyewitness reports through Luke. Help us listen to the story of Acts so that we can keep living the story of Acts now. So here's the two questions. To burn these into your mind. Write them down somewhere. But get them. Because these are the two questions we'll keep coming back to. So, first question is as we're reading the story of Acts, how was the Holy Spirit fulfilling Jesus' promise of witness through them then? So you're stumbling along through Acts, and you're in Acts chapter 15, and you come to the end of the story, you simply ask, was the Holy Spirit fulfilling the promise Jesus made back in chapter one? Right here in this story now. And then talk about it. Especially in some of the stranger stories. How is the Holy Spirit fulfilling his promise of witness when he struck people dead in Acts chapter 5? Have fun with that one. I will too when I have to preach on it. Uh, How is the Holy Spirit fulfilling his promise of witness with uh, the confusion that was happening around whether or not Gentile believers should follow the law? How is the Holy Spirit fulfilling His promise of witness then? How is He fulfilling the whole, this promise of witness when one of the early church leaders lost his head by a megalomaniac king? How is the Holy Spirit fulfilling His promise of witness each and every step? Ask the question as you're reading Acts and it will reveal powerful things about what God was doing. But the second question is just as powerful and crucial for us. How is the Holy Spirit fulfilling Jesus' promise of witness Through us now. Present tense. How is the promise that Jesus made back then happening and being continually reworked into our lives today? I believe that it's by asking these two questions that our communal listening to this first story of witness will then shape our communal witness now. The witness of the church today. And that's how, by asking these two questions, we'll allow this story of Acts, we'll allow the Holy Spirit to take the story of our brothers and sisters way back then and renew in us His vision for us now. But for today, here's the main point. The promise Jesus made to them, He made to us. The Holy Spirit who filled them, fills us now. The Holy Spirit who fulfilled Jesus' original promise in those early followers' lives, he continues to fulfill Jesus' original promise right here in the 21st century, right here among you and I, right here at the Erickson Covenant Church, right here for each and every one of you, as you live as witnesses in your work, in your homes, in this valley. And I think by grabbing a hold of this promise and fulfillment, we'll experience a reorientation toward God's mission in the world, God's mission in our lives. We'll begin to make sense of some of those opening questions of how is God at work in us, through us, around us. We'll begin to see that sourced by the Spirit, we no longer go out as witnesses because we've got a duty to perform. We do it because we've experienced the joy of sharing with others the life-giving truth that Jesus is alive. We begin to see how witness to Jesus' resurrection comes because the Holy Spirit has started this new creation work in me, in you, in us. The Holy Spirit is at work, and what we have to do is let him fill us so that he can then fulfill in us the promise Jesus made. How are we going to do that this year? Very simply, it's this, that when we gather when we gather here on Sunday mornings, when we gather in small groups, when we gather around coffee or out of friends, when we gather together, we're going to hear this story of Acts. And we're going to let this story help us interpret our own Acts story. And this story, as it were, can be like a filter for us, like glasses that we put on. You know, when I take my glasses off, you are all a blur, you beautiful people. But I can't see you at all until I put the glasses on. And what I'm saying is that the story of Acts is like a good pair of glasses for a blind guy. Where you put them on and all of a sudden things become sharper and clearer. And the book of Acts can be a filter for us where we begin to see how Jesus' promise is being fulfilled and that through the teaching we receive when we gather on Sunday morning, through the worship that we offer, through the fellowship together over coffee beforehand as it spills out, the prayer that we have together, the, the, the times we gather in small groups or we serve together or we extend hospitality to others. as we gather, we'll hear this story and let it shape us. But also as we scatter as we're sent from our small groups, as we're sent from our gathered worship times, as we're sent from youth, as we're sent out, we'll scatter in the power of the Holy Spirit as His witnesses, where we are seeing Him fulfill His promise in our workplace, and in our homes, and on our farms, and in our businesses, in our schools, our hospitals. We'll see Him fulfilling His promise of witness. We'll get up in the morning and we'll begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would actually fill us for the day ahead. We'll say, Holy Spirit, fill me today so that you can fulfill in me the promise that Jesus gave. And what's more, you won't just pray it for yourself. You begin to think of others right here in our community and you'll re- get up in the morning and you'll think, Lord Jesus, would you fill Brenda today? Would you fill Christiane? Would you fill each one? Al, Gord, Dave, Pauline. Would you fill them today? by the power of your Holy Spirit, and fulfill in them the promise of witness that you made, wherever they are, in whatever conversation. We'll take the day expecting that Jesus, who is alive, that Jesus, who made a promise, has a Holy Spirit working to make good on that promise in our lives. So that the rhythm of our church life together will, in a sense, mimic the rhythm we even see here in the early church, in the early church's brothers and sisters, where they gather and then they scatter. Where they come together and then they go out. Where they have this rhythm, where they realize that in order to really be the witnesses Jesus has called us to be, we need to be in each other's faces. We need to be praying together. We need to be gathered around the Scripture together. We need to be eating together. But... As we go out into our work, as we go out into our valley, as we go out into our lives, we also go as empowered witnesses, seeing life come to others, seeing the Holy Spirit fulfill in us what He has promised. Well, as you go this week, I want to suggest three possible responses Hmm. from a traveling frog. To get us started, I simply want to say for the week ahead, would you actually read the story? Take in the story. Now, I want to give it to you at two levels. One, read the story of Acts. Read it through this week. It's a great story. And for the super keeners among you, go back and read the prequel too. Read Luke and Acts together. Volume 1, Volume 2. But begin to hear the story. It can't really be a good filter for our eyes if we're not familiar with it and we don't begin to hear this story. So that's where we start. Read the story. Take it in. If you have a you know, version app on your phone, turn it on audio and, and, and listen to it read to you while you're doing work around the yard or, or work at home or driving. Read the story. The second one, I encourage you to clarify your question. And particularly, is there an area of your life? Maybe it's, Maybe it's in your family, or maybe it's a particular relational struggle, or maybe it's a it's a whole um, area of work. Is there an area of your life where you're saying, I actually, I actually don't really see God at work there. Like I I am not sure how this promise that Jesus made has any relevance to my high school life or to my uh, relationship with an estranged brother. I don't actually see how this promise of witness makes sense in what I do day to day. Clarify that. Just name it. You don't have to answer it yet. Just name it. There's this area of my life. There's this relationship in my life. There's an area in my mind. There's an addiction I struggle with. Whatever it is, there's an area in my life where I am not sure how God is at work there, how God could possibly fulfill His promise in me. Name it. Clarify it. And then third, very practically, To start praying for each other. And I actually want to give a really specific challenge. And I apologize if this makes you uncomfortable. I won't call you out. But this is my challenge to you. That you would decide right now. Like stop listening to the rest of my sermon. Well, it's almost done anyway. But decide to pray for three people. And I actually encourage you to look around. You don't have to stare at them. Look around. Look around. And think, oh yeah, this week I'm going to pray for Kristen and for Lori and for Bill. And you write that down. And this week, when you get up or whenever you pray, you post their picture when you're washing dishes. I don't care how you do it. Or picture, don't download them off Facebook and post their picture. That's creepy. But like, post their names. And, and, and while you're praying for them this week, pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them and fulfill in them the promise that he's made. But pick three. And I'm not joking. Pick, like, pick them right now. Like, look around and pick them. So I expect you all, heads to be turning, you're looking around, you're trying to identify who you're going to pray for this week. Pray for three people. Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them and fulfill in them. I want you to hear my heart today. I want you to hear my heart for this church. I truly believe that the promise Jesus made holds true today, as true today as it ever has been. That the Holy Spirit has been making good on this promise that Jesus made from day one. That the whole story of history can be written from the perspective of how the Holy Spirit is working to fulfill in us the promise that Jesus made. And yes, there's been twists and turns. And there's been betrayal. And there's been dark times. And there's been confusion. And there's been times when the church is seeming like it's going to go off the tracks. And that's sometimes just true of our own lives too, right? But as we look back, we can see how the Holy Spirit is fulfilling this promise. And He has never quit. And His promise for us holds just As true today. His promise is unbreakable. And the Spirit is making good on that promise through you, in you, among us, even today. And if we could just get that deep inside of us. If we could grab a hold of that, I think it would change the way we think about our lives. We would realize that we don't have to conjure some sort of special willpower or push harder to try to make something good happen. Rather, we need to let the Holy Spirit fill us so that He can fulfill in us what Jesus said. And I think, friends, that will make all the difference in the world. Because this mission, the mission of our church, to help people find and follow Jesus, it's something that God takes the initiative in. It's something that God is committed to. It's something that God has sent His Holy Spirit to work through us so that it happens. There was an old missionary. His name was Leslie Newbigin. And uh, he has shaped my life as much as anyone has from a writing perspective. I unfortunately didn't get to meet him before he passed. A long-time missionary in India. I was so enthralled with this guy it changed my life when I read one of his books in the early 90s. So enthralled that when I finally got to the opportunity to do a master's, I said to them, my thesis supervisor, I don't really care what I write it on. I just want to do something with this guy. He was deeply formative for me. And so we worked something out, and I I, I did that. But this guy changed the way that I thought about how God was at work in the world. And one of the things he said is, he said, it's impossible to stress too strongly that the beginning of mission is not an action of ours, but the presence of a new reality, the presence of the Spirit of God in power. And it's impossible to stress that too strongly, he says which I take as serious motivation as we're preaching through Acts this year, that we're always reminded that this is this mission that we're on is a mission of God's, initiated by the Father, promised by Jesus, and empowered by the Spirit. A new presence is among us, a new reality, and it changes everything. He went on to say, reflecting on the early mission of the church, these words, and I'm giving you a longer quote than I normally give you as I close today, but I I just love this. He said, mission begins, and you could say witness as well, mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout of a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal, but life-giving. One searches in vain through the letters of St. Paul to find any suggestion that he anywhere lays it on the conscience of his readers that they ought to be active in mission. For himself, it is inconceivable that he should stay silent. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, he said in 1 Corinthians 9.16. But nowhere do we find him telling his readers that they have a duty to do so. So, Erickson Covenant Church, are you ready for the Holy Spirit to fill us and fulfill in us his promise that we would be his witnesses, witnesses to Jesus are we ready as a community to experience what Newbegin characterizes us as this explosion of joy that as the Holy Spirit fills us each and every day, whether we are alone or whether we are gathered as a community, that as the Holy Spirit fills us, He gives us this joy to bring the good news to others of who Jesus is and what He's done. Are you ready as a community that as we gather to learn? To, to deepen our understanding of this story, to to see more accurately how God is at work around us so that we can respond, so that we can share as the Holy Spirit is filling us and sending us into the world. Are you ready for that? I hope you are. Because it's going to be a good time in Acts this year. Yeah, thanks, Doug. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And uh, I'm just going to pray as they do, and then, and then I'll come up at the end for a benediction. Holy Spirit, thank you for being so good at making good on the promise of Jesus. The fact that you would fill us and then fulfill in us Jesus' promise is astonishing. We just can't wait to see how that unfolds this year. Not only as we gather, but as we scatter. And I pray today that we would take this story, we would drink it in, and it would change the way we see the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.